Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart, amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love, and welcome back to Soul Talk. And today, we have a very special invite that I have the pleasure to meet her in Boston, in Harvard, in, in Blue Talks. And it was amazing that we're, conversation that we had over there and that we're going to continue here. And her name is Laura Lake. And I want to she explain you a little bit who she is because it is very interesting, her story. Laura? Oh, you want me to explain? Okay. Ooh, where to start? I love to describe myself as a playful luminary change maker. And with that, I also love to tell people that I like hiking. I love these deep conversations that we're going to be having today and nerdy cosplay. So today I'm not wearing any cosplay, but you never know when it could be integrated into my work. And I started this whole thing because I too have a story. I too have struggled with something and many of us have. And it's because of these struggle stories that we do the things that we do. So I was in a bicycle accident in 2011. When I was at the height of my career, right after I had my baby, I had just gotten back to work. She was 17 months old. I was like, yes, things are going great. And then I avoided an SUV and hit a telephone pole instead. It was literally the universe smacking me, not quite in the face. I avoided that one, <laughs> smacking me in the body that said, wake up, you're not listening. Something needs to change, you're settling. Oh, that hurts to hear. Even the little tugs here and there just didn't work. I needed that literal smack to the body that said, stop it, and the whole motherly finger waggle. But it was because of that whole journey of healing that I learned that stories are so important to share, that courage, is basically the plus side, the strength of vulnerability. And that connection between human beings like you and I, that is what holds me on this planet, even in my deepest, darkest moments, which is exactly what I needed in those times of my deepest, darkest moments. You're like, why? Why bother? It's that joy, it's that love and this whole mental health where I, I don't usually like to use those words. Let's talk about mental health. No, instead, let's talk about courageous connections that we are connected as human beings first on the journey that we have together. So can't that wait. Is, that is so true because we all have a story. Yeah. And we're so afraid even to speak it, talk about it out loud. And say, you know what, be vulnerable and talk about what it actually makes us wake up. And you're totally true. When we're not listening, when we're not awake, when we're not putting attention, something is going to happen. It doesn't matter what it is. Some people go to divorce or losing someone or losing a job or something drastically. And some people, amazingly, they don't have that story. They, they just certainly understood without having the the harsh moment that many of us we pass. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that is true. But what was that what were what uh when you had that accident 
What makes you wake up? <laughs> what made me wake up? Yes. <sighs> I couldn't do the things that I did before and my identity was lost. So I had put so much time and effort into the things that I did, the accomplishments that I had, the abilities that I was able to utilize. And when those were stripped away from me, I had no idea who I was anymore. If I'm not the caregiver, the mom, the wife, cleaning the house, you know, doing amazing things in my business and site visits and all of this, who was I? Was I really of value? Did I really matter? And so it's, it's that whole, well, okay, even if all of this was taken away, yes, I do still matter. Yes, I am enough. I do still have value, but what does that look like? And that was that beingness that we all tend to talk about now, the being versus the doing. Mm -hmm. So who am I? Who do I want to be? Not just who was I five minutes ago. It's who do I want to be and how can I practice that now? Because I can say someday, I can say, if only, I can say all of those things that put this me that I want to be, this me that I place value on into the future, that I'll never allow myself to get there. Okay. So then how do I practice that in the now with satisfaction, with love, with curiosity, with connection and courage? so that I can live that now instead of living that in the future. And I just keep practicing and getting better at it. Yes, many people just wait until something happen or until I be rich, until I have that house or that husband or whatever. And they're not living in the present moment. And many people do not ask those important questions that you just mentioned. Why? Why I am here? What, I, what do I want from life? What do I want to expect? What is the experience I want to have? Yeah. And that's what it makes you shift. And that's what I call following the yellow brick road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the accident basically forced me to downplay my performance. I couldn't keep up. No matter how hard I tried, I felt, this is what I don't usually share. So lucky you <laughs> and your audience. I felt like a dumbed down version of who I actually was. I felt like the things that went on in my head were only about 10% capacity of where it was. And then everything coming out of me was only 10% of that. So I felt like this much of myself. And it's horrible. So my, my job performance went down. Eventually I got laid off. And that layoff was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it was, Laura, you've always said you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Why aren't you doing that? <laughs> Everybody's offering you jobs. You're getting the jobs. But the economy is not there right now in architecture, because uh, that's what I used to do. Whenever the economy is moving, that's when there's no jobs. If it's up, people spend. If it's down, the government spends. But it's in those in-between times that you're just, you're out of luck. And that's where I was, is everybody was like, oh, oh my God, Laura's looking for a job. We know Laura. We like Laura. We've worked with Laura. Let's hire Laura. And so they did. And I got all of them, but there wasn't a job for me. And I knew that that was the universe going, no, dear. 
you're you're not going to get another job. You said you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Go do that. <laughs> Even the jobs are forcing you that way. Just start. Just start. And so I did. And you became a coach of courageous, uh, courageous connection. Right. Not at first. Not at first. At first, I really did the the type of design that I consulted for in the companies that I worked for and in the projects that I worked on, which was all about sustainability. It's all about our mental health. How do I use the spaces that we're in? So psychology, environmental psychology to subconsciously shift the way we create habits. So how can I design your office so that you are more productive? How can I design your bedroom so that you sleep better, your kitchen so you eat better? Without ever forcing you to do something different, it's just the way the design is. I study design, so I know colors. Did you? That, yes. Yeah. So I understand colors and, yeah. and all these kind of things. But do you use feng shui? I do, actually. I was just doing that for my bedroom. I rearranged my bedroom when I got back from Boston. I was like, I'm a whole new person. I need a whole new bedroom. So now I have an office where I can move my arms. <laughs> Something that I, I dislike, I have code, I have done um, different, I have gone to places and do feng shui using, of course, the, the designer that I know and support in different places. And I started doing it in my house. But something that I discovered, feng shui is very strict about Everything super organized and clean. And that's me. I love that. Just give oh. me simple, clean elegance. Yes. Yes. And for me, it is maybe as an artist, I am a hoarder, you know? Yeah. So it is very hard. And I have everything messy, but I know it was exact for the people that see it. For, for me, it's perfectly organized. So Feng Shui and me did not work out because of those kind of things. So I will be. Going in the street and I see, I don't know, a, a mirror or a box or whatever. Oh, I can use that <laughs> for one of my pieces or something like that. And I will bring it home. So, yeah, my kids still complain about that one. But, uh, <laughs> but this is the best part. Though, is we can take what we like out of these different things and we go, what is it that feng shui is actually trying to do? And then yeah. how can we use those basic principles with everything else that we love and make it work for us. That's what I was going to ask you. How do you start with messy clients? Because we're many of us. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. But when I started my business, that kind of stuff wasn't that prevalent here locally. It was very much talked about in Europe, in parts of Australia. It's just not quite here yet especially for a small business trying to do it that doesn't already have the clients coming in so once I started getting into that work and seeing that people aren't ready for it they're just not like okay okay <laughs> where's the universe taking me now and I found more entrepreneurs and I'm suffering from mental health issues and I'm realizing dang <laughs> One in two entrepreneurs, this was before COVID, one in two entrepreneurs also suffered from mental health issues. Oh, yeah. I believe ah. the world entirely, but many people do not want to do or get tested or go to yeah. a doctor or even admit 
I'm doing things wrong and I don't know what I'm doing. Yep. You know, and uh, or they have a trauma. I have talked with many people that they say, I don't have any trauma. I'm perfectly fine. I believe every single person in, in this plane, in even Deepa Chopra, mm-hmm. he's in this plane, he, he has something to work with himself. The Dalai Lama, if he's in this plane, it's because he has something to work with himself. Yes, to give to the, the rest of the world the, whatever knowledge they're getting, but they're working with themselves. So don't, it is not one person that have mental trauma. I believe the world entirely has a, vari- a variation of trauma, correct? Oh, definitely. Though I'm, I'm going to elaborate on what you just said. The, the phrase now that I'm hearing is there's the capital T for trauma, which we think of the big things, mm-hmm. right? But then there's, there's the little T trauma. It's all of those little things. I think of trauma as a stress cup, since we like to talk about cups and filling our cup and overflowing our cup. So anytime our stress overflows in that cup, that amount that we can process in the moment, I call that our stress cup. As soon as it spills over, that's trauma because it takes more than the immediate moment to process it. It takes more time. It takes more effort. It takes more inner searching and looking and allowing to work through that. And so I see anything from there and beyond as trauma. And it can be a little T. It can be a big T. It can be (laughs) whatever size you want. Yeah, but at the same time, not believing in yourself is a trauma because it becomes, it begins probably. Mm-hmm. And when you're an adult, you can see it as a little teen, but it's a teen. <laughs> that little plant has roots way down here. There's, it's so deep. But if this is the other thing I love is I love to attract those people who love the deeper conversations because so much time we spend in this surface level. And they only see the surface level. And they're like, oh, it's only tiny. That's because you're only up here. There's all of this and so much more. And the more you uncover, the more you see. Yes. Like, oh, I love that. But being surrounded by the right people like you to help facilitate that, to help give a wonderful mirror and a reflection, some feedback, makes it even easier to process. I know many people do not understand what is the dark night of the soul or they don't even want to affront their own darkness that they, we all have. Yes, It's not outside of us, it's just inside of us. But can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Because maybe other spectators, this is my, what I, I, I've been guided that this is what they are needing to hear. Oh, nice. Ooh. So how I describe it is everything that we push down inside of us. So think of it as the skeleton closet or all of those emotions or those dark corners within us, everything that we don't want to see, that we ignore, that we shove down. And I do, I picture that closet. I picture us holding that closet closed with as much effort as we can. And then what do we do? We can't leave that closet. If we leave, it's going to open. And then it's all going to pour out because we didn't organize it, as we talked about earlier. (laughs) We just, we shoved it in as quickly as possible. And so we have to at least have that one hand on that door. Where can we go? What can we experience? Not a whole lot. So I encourage people to start looking 
at that darkness, at that brokenness and say, you know what? This isn't evil. It's not horrible. It's not bad. It just is. And it all stems from wanting love or lack of love or something in that way. So if I can look at that darkness and all those things that we shove down and I go, you know what? I acted out and I did something I probably shouldn't have because I was really looking for love in that moment. I didn't feel it. Or that person that did something to me, they needed love in that moment. And so I can look at that darkness with love now and not have to shove it in the closet. And now I have all this extra free energy that I can do to walk away from the closet, to clean out the closet, <laughs> to look at all these pieces and sell it and let it go, whatever we choose to do. Yes, and that that is very important to acknowledge yes. that. Yeah. And I was reading in, in the bio that you actually sent me, you you were talking that about your first experience uh, public speaking. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, that was the ugly crying on stage. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll start with this part. So I went to a conference in Toronto in 2016, and I was just attending. And one of the people who was talking about Simon Sinek, Start With Why, his name is Stephen Shedletsky, he was losing his voice. So he asked everyone, okay, who here knows it well enough to teach it? My hand is the only hand up. I last minute taught the first 20 minutes of his workshop. And it was because of that, that I decided to get on stage because that, that whole conference was, am I going to be seen as weak and unprofessional? How much is too much to share? Like how much of that truth do I share? Because it is dark as we just talked about, it is broken. And I don't really want to show that. I just want to shove it in that, in that closet. But that's what inspired me to be like, hey, I can do this. It doesn't have to be memorized. <laughs> I don't need cue cards. I could just speak from here and my experience. So I did. I chose to speak on a stage called Mo Mondays, where you get to share your story of transformation, of experience, whatever it happens to be. And it's always a personal story. So I knew that the audience wouldn't boo me off stage, or at least that was the hope. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I wrote my talk and I boiled it down the way that I always do. I have a, a main intention of what I want to share and then three key points and then how I want to end it. So I have this little piece of paper in my hand, in this hand. I'm gripping that piece of paper and I have the microphone in the other hand and this light is shining down on my face and I can't see anybody beyond the tables right beside the stage. And I get to the point in my story where we are in the big T trauma, like the ugliness of it all. And I hadn't healed that part of me yet. I didn't even want to look in it. This was the moment where I had let my hand off of that closet and it started pouring on everyone. <laughs> so I'm sure. there with my note and my microphone and the light in my face and I'm sweating and I feel it well up from my stomach. Of, oh my God, I just shared the thing that I didn't want to share and I want it to throw up. Instead, I just had my mascara and I started to cry and there's like black lines down my face. It's the ugly cry and the whole <gasps> like that, okay, on stage. <laughs> and in that moment, I was thinking, okay, this is the worst possible thing that could happen. I'm sharing my story. I'm sharing the 
not so fun bits of my story, being really vulnerable, they're going to reject me. They're, they're going to see me as weak. They're going to see me as unprofessional. Nobody's going to buy for me. And if nobody buys for me, I don't make any money. If I don't make any money, I don't have a house over my head. Oh my God, I have no food. I die. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was the, the picture that we have in our mind. That's that tribal mindset of if I don't belong, if I don't fit in, it's basically imminent death. And so that's why we fear that moment so much. So I'm up there crying on the stage, black tears running down my face. And I finished my talk and there was silence. And I went, oh my God, what just happened? And then I hear the claps and I hear people crying and I hear people cheering me on. And as soon as I walked off that stage, every single person in that audience, except for maybe two, <laughs> came up to me, gave me a hug, told me, oh my God, thank you so much for sharing your story. I didn't even know that I wasn't looking at my own story. Or because you shared my story, I am now brave enough to go see a doctor about my PTSD. Or I, I had attempted suicide before too. I didn't know that anybody else felt that way. The only feedback I got was love. There was no rejection. And this, this is what choosing the people that you surround yourself with means. It means that no matter how you show up, they love you for you. Choosing your communities, not necessarily individual people, it's the same thing. You set boundaries on your communities and you're saying, this is who I am. This is how I'm showing up. And they're like, I see you. I get you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. There is a trauma in the world that I have seen with many of my clients that they're always trying to fit in. So they're not showing or having a first date. They're not going to show who they truly are. Why? Because they just want to be accepted. They just want to be loved. They just want to be here. They just want attention or whatever it is. So they are not completely authentic. How do you work with people with that? I work in many ways, but I would like to, to hear you. Sure. Um, I was always one of those people who was weird. So I wore different clothes. I made my own, like, since I was seven. I didn't like the same things that they did. I never really wore makeup. This is kind of new. <laughs> um, like, just so many things. They always, always, always told me I was weird, that I was strange, that I didn't fit in. And so you you find those people that love you in different ways, hoping for that belonging. And so the way that I love to work with people is I call them out and I'm like, where are my entrepreneurs? <laughs> where are the people that love hiking? Where are the people that love cosplay? Where are the people who can act like their inner six-year-old sometimes to bring out that playfulness? And that's why when I introduced myself, I said that I'm playful. I'm a luminary. I'm a change maker. I like hiking, converse, deep conversations, and nerdy cosplay. It's like already I'm talking about things that aren't necessarily business. I want to know where you are because that is not all of me, but a good chunk of me. And so when I work with clients, I want to know who they are behind the business. What stories help lead to the work that you do or how you do the work that you do? Because it's in those moments that help 
everyone, not just me, have clarity on your identity and how you want to show up, not necessarily how you are showing up. So we get those subconscious insights of, oh, Monica really wants to be an international speaker and she's going out and she's doing it. Sometimes she may be scared. Sometimes she's not, mm-hmm. right? Depending on the location or the crowd or whatever happens to be in the moment. But I'm seeing those pieces of you and I'm like, wow, some of them are like me. Some of them are inspiring. Some of them have such potential. And the, the other secret that I have is I actually read eyes. That's one of my intuitive abilities. So I've, I've literally had people send me this much of their face or somebody's face. They don't even tell me who they're like, oh, really? And they send me a picture of this <laughs> and they're like, tell me what you see. So I see their personality. I see the way that they think. I see some of their emotions, their fears, their desires. It depends on the person, right? Feels like this big bowl of puzzle pieces just chucked on the table in front of me. And I have to try to make the frame and find those pieces that create small images. I have a question regarding that. I yeah. Usually when I, I see someone they and I ask, I don't even have to ask for the file. They just pass me the file of whoever that's why I try to stay away from places where they have too many people because they've just been passing me files and it's like this is too much I need to go <laughs> but do you receive files of people like like little pictures photographs scenes things like that or what are they saying you I get a lot <laughs> yes. when I'm around people I've had to learn to create what I call a love bubble because I used to just take it all in. My my mom is very much that person who didn't know what was happening. And she would just take on everybody's worries. She's like, oh, I'm going to share with you. And that's how I'm connected. No, no, I'm done yes. doing that. So I have this love bubble as far as I can reach, right? I just, just like golden sparkle paint. Think of it that way. So as soon as somebody tries to send me something, I can choose whether or not to let that in. Or it bounces off my love bubble. And now it's a little sparkly and gold sent with love back to them so that they can handle it. Because if I take it, I am literally robbing them of growth. And not only that, their thoughts are going to start becoming their thoughts. So exactly, not your trauma, it's not your work, it's theirs. So you have to be releasing all that information. It belongs to somebody else. Exactly. But when you're reading the eyes of someone, that was my question. Oh, yeah. Do they give you files? Do they give you photos? Do they give you something like they do to me? Not necessarily files. Some people do. Uh, I have two different ways of categorizing people. I have the box thinkers and the really, really solid box thinkers. They send me files. Then I have a lot of the web thinkers, which I'm attracting more and more of. Intentionally, of course. Because... They they don't file things necessarily in a folder and that folder goes in a box and that box is labeled, put on a specific shelf in a warehouse or somewhere. Like that's what I call box thinking. The web thinking, it's this piece of paper, this file could go in this folder or this folder or this folder or this folder, depending on how I want to use it in the moment. So sometimes they'll send me an image. Sometimes they'll send me a folder. Sometimes they'll send me a scene or an emotion or a memory. Like it really depends on the person and the moment. Like how are we connecting? Yeah. 
Yeah. And sometimes it's just this inner knowing. Yes. This feeling in my gut where I'm like, oh. And sometimes I do see those puzzle pieces with words on them in my mind. Or an emotion sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You also, uh, I don't know, you strike me that you probably you also have the smell. Sometimes. Yes. Not as often. Usually that's for myself, not so much other people. But yes, it does yeah. happen. Yes. I picture that one out. <laughs> because I, I do have that one too. <laughs> like, sometimes it's, it's a smell. It can be beautiful. It can be horrendous. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, I just want to stay away or let me help out. <laughs> the pets on, the, on that is not every time. No. It's just once in a while. Yes. So how do you work with people? Okay. So I have only in the last couple of months reworked a lot of stuff because intuitively (laughs) the universe was like, you are spending way too much time. And I mean, way too much time. I mean, like 20 hours a week doing one-on-one calls with people because I love it. I love getting to know people, hearing their stories. Like, wow. You are amazing and you are a badass. And do you know that you're amazing and a badass? And so I would just get caught up in these one-on-one calls where they're telling me their story. So I thought to myself, okay, (laughs) I love this, but I can't give it away for free just so I learn about you all the time. How can I turn this into something helpful? So I created something I call a story session. So yes, we get to sit and chat for a whole hour, which is what the 15 minute calls ended up being anyway. (laughs) And I get to hear your story, but now I'm giving you feedback on your story. I'm like, okay, is this what I'm hearing? Is this the pattern that I'm seeing? Is this the emotion that I'm seeing? Are these, you know, and I pick out all these pieces. And so I have three main things that I focus on. I focus on you being able to identify your story. So some people know that they have a story, where they try to take their entire life and say that is their story. No, it's not. <laughs> that is the entire movie, but that's not the story. There's smaller pieces to it. So identifying what that is, what that looks like, what it feels like. And the second part is sharing your story. So now that you know what that story is, how do you share that in a way that courageously connects with your audience that doesn't have you or them thinking you're weak? You are unprofessional. <laughs> you're you're being vulnerable, right? It's how do we find that courage? How do I find you, my ideal client, who is hiding because you're in so much pain that if you come out of that closet that you're shoving away, if you come out of that darkness, you're going to feel even more pain. So how do I identify that with you? It's through my courage. And then the third part is converting your story. So it's not just about sharing your story, but when you're on stage, how do you encourage and empower people to create change instead of persuading or manipulating them to do so, which is what I feel a lot of the the marketing is based around. It's like, oh, here's where you started. Here's where you want to be. Let's let's pull that and build that tension. And then we're just going to and make you hurt. No. Okay, that feels like you're shoving a bear into a corner and asking it not to attack you. 
right? That's not, that's not cool in my mind, especially with that mental health background, having gone through and on both sides, helping and being in the middle of it. So how do I empower people to say, you're here, you want to be here. What are those steps that you're taking? How can we celebrate that? What are you already doing to empower you to keep going? That's the hardest part. And so when we're converting, we want to be in that energy and that mindset. And do you work with people with PTSD? I do. I love working with people with PTSD or depression or anxiety, insomnia. I've been through all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Attempted suicide, like so many things on deep, dark levels. I see you. And usually I catch those patterns. Even if you don't tell me that part of your story, it's like, ah, I've been there. I recognize that hole in the mud. I lived there for three years too. Yeah. Yeah. I believe many of us, we can admit that, that we we have passed through that some deep emotions. Maybe some people not to the extent of trying to commit suicide, yeah. but, uh, but many of us, we did. We did pass through that deep emotion. And maybe a lot of us, we were never diagnosed with PTSD for this or for that, but because it can be a combination of one event or thousands of events. Oh, yes. That is, it is impossible to say, oh, you have PTSD for when you were seven, when this passed, yes, but when you were 10, when you were 15, when you were 20, when you were 30, when you were and so on. So, yeah. so that's a combination of that. Yeah. So, yes. So that's why, um, I have met many people and more here in the United States that they come from the army. They work in the, they were in the army and they have PTSD. A lot of them are artists. And, uh, and I can see that they're going through that. But at the same time, they just shove them pills and expecting that they are going to be better. But that's why, in a way, that's why the society, uh, it is, in pain because the people would not fix it. Mm. So how do you work with people with PTSD? Um, I actually created my own exercise around this, my own, how should I word it? It's not quite a formula, but kind of, it's like a formula with an exercise. So I have tried over 50 different modalities to help heal my PTSD. And at different points of my life, I was ready for different ones, or I understood it on that deeper level that I needed to, for it to work the way that I was told it should work. So like mindfulness was one of the key things that helped me through my PTSD. It's the thing that helped me cure my chronic pain. It's the thing that continues to have me practice curiosity over judgment and to play with that inner six-year-old. It's like, she is the most curious little thing. <laughs> And so we play a lot so that I can stay in that space of curiosity. I created something that I call the lake method, which involves a vagus nerve stimulation. And if you don't know what the vagus nerve is for your audience, <laughs> uh, it is one of the, the main nerves that work from your brain all the way down to your pelvis. And it connects with other parts of your nervous system as well. It is the gatekeeper of your stress response. So when I work with the vagus nerve, I imagine it like um, like a braid, okay? When you try to get, it's messy, that's okay. When you try to get the braid out from the top, it just gets stuck. So I work from the with the vagus nerve from the bottom up. 
so that we work through all the knots so that you can have that communication between gut and your brain. This way, you don't actually have to talk about the memories, experiences that you've had. You're just working physically first. Once we start to practice shutting off that stress response, knowing that we do have that control, then if you want, we can get deeper into the clearings, into the emotional work, but we start physically to give you that safe space, yeah. right? And then we work from there. Do you work with certain modalities in a specific? I blend everything that I've ever tried, which is why like people have asked me, are you a Reiki practitioner? Do you do chiropractic? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I've taken so many classes and so many things. I would never spend the thousands and thousands of dollars on the literally a hundred different things I've studied. Instead, it's like, what is the root of this? What is the intention? Like, how can I dwindle it down and find the patterns between these different modalities so that I know what the important pieces are? And then I can take you, Monica, or I can take your listeners and I go, what is it that you love? How is it that you like to live? And how can I manipulate those root pieces around who you are instead of trying to force you to fit into any one of these? Yes, uh, that, that is true. I, I, I have studied, I don't know how many things. So many. And thousands of certifications and more than even, I don't even remember their names because mm. I have, it is hard to put names now that we create yeah. class, you know. <laughs> like, but yes, yes, it's true. You would take whatever it fits and works for each person because each person is different at the yeah. same time. Now, something that I was reading in your bio too, it was about that you work with the rejections. Uh, yes. yes, can you yes. elaborate more in that one? Because, oh, sure. Uh, okay. I do want to say it took me a long time to figure out what my rejection story was because that was one of those things, right, that I shoved so far into my closet and covered with so much stuff that I couldn't remember. I have about a six year window of my childhood where I have very few memories. Yeah. Still working on that. So I knew that the story was somewhere in here. I thought it was me kissing a, a guy in daycare, like before school even started and him having a mouthful of rice and him not, and I'm not liking the kiss. I thought that was my rejection story. Mm -mm. So then I thought it was me writing this Valentine's for a crush I had for six years, like all fancy, right? Give it to my friend. She brings it into his classroom. He reads it publicly of me asking him out and publicly he said no. So then it felt like the whole school was making fun of me. That was not my rejection story either, but that was a piece of it. It was actually in grade nine, which was the same year that I did attempt suicide. It was all of my girlfriends at the time. We had gone from elementary into to high school. So our elementary went right up until grade eight. I knew my identity. It was on the jungle gyms, right? That was who I was. I lost that when I went into high school. There's no jungle gyms for high school students. No, who am I? And then I, I started to explore other friends and my, my core group of girlfriends 
didn't like that. They're like, why are you hanging it with other people? You don't love us anymore? Fine, we don't love you. What? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> 15 minutes a day saying hi to people that aren't you is not me saying that I don't love you anymore. And so most of them didn't talk to me or didn't talk to me publicly, right? And it was shortly after that, that I started to spiral. I was like, why am I here? My brother moved away, this old piece of identity. There's so many changes happening. I don't feel connected to anything. And that was the issue is I didn't feel connected, whether I was or not, didn't matter. I didn't feel it. And so I had planned everything out. I had actually taken action on it, obviously failed because I'm still here. Mm -hmm. um, but that was my rejection story. And I just found this out about three months ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was like, I know it's there. We still, even I wrote up a piece of content yesterday about that, that things that we did not resolve before, they're going to be showing up now. And you say, that's ridiculous. Like in the rejection side, Mm -hmm. high school I believe the majority is traumatic for the human being because it comes a lot of, of these kind of things and as an adult you say like oh that was ridiculous yes but because you did not resolve it then mm -hmm. you're going to resolve it at your 50, 60, 80, 90 it doesn't matter because it is going to repeat the same story yep. my tribe kicked me out of the tribe and therefore I thought imminent death Yes. Right. So simple. But yet that's what it felt like in the moment. And I can see now that I see that this was my rejection story. I can see my mistrust of women my entire life. I can yes. see how when my friends moved away, I was like, yes, I have an out. I can see these things that I don't necessarily regret because I understand that they're growth moments. Mm -hmm but I can see the patterns more clearly now. And that rejection moment, these rejection stories, that's what we fear the most when we're on the stage, when we're getting vulnerable, is we fear being kicked out of the tribe. If the tribe is what's sustaining us and we're kicked out because we share too much, because we shared the truth, because we said something somebody didn't like, now we get to choose our tribes. We can choose to be with a different tribe. Life has changed since that tribal mindset, but yet our brains are still in survival mode. So working with these rejection stories, if I can help you go back to that small T, big T, whatever trauma and say, no matter what, you will learn to never reject yourself. And therefore you can learn to always create or join a new tribe. Because at the end, if we're feeling the rejection for other people is how much we're rejecting ourselves. Yes. So that's yeah. what it makes a difference, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. More than we're- I know now I love myself for all of me, even the weird parts, celebrate it. Be like, oh, you took the time to show me and to verbalize to me what makes me different and unique. Thanks mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the words that you choose. If you call me naive, <laughs> which I get called a lot, or childish, right? I see that as, wow, you're calling out the fact that I am playful and curious and 
bring in this youthful energy to things. Thanks for telling me. Or you're, you're too loud and direct. Oh my God, you're going to tell me the truth? You're the perfect person that I need. And I actually love hanging out with direct people because I'm, I'm the type of person who's like, I understand your mental health. <laughs> I want to make sure you feel safe and supported. And so I love when people come to me and they're like, you're not feeling very good. You're going to tell me right now because you know I'm not stopping. Yes, you love me enough to see me. Ah, thank you. I love yes. sharing that. Yeah. Yes, everybody. The thing is, majority of the people, they do not understand when the judgments of others is just a reflection of them, not of us. Yep. So that's where it comes a lot of the rejection and the from the judgments of others. But it's not even about us. Right. Yep. That's a weekly discussion with my daughter. It's like anytime somebody says something that you don't like, it has nothing to do with you. That's the story they play in their mind about what they believe. And they're putting that on you. If they don't like pink and you're wearing a pink shirt, they're not wearing the pink shirt. <laughs> they don't have to wear the pink shirt. You're not trying to give them the pink shirt and say, you have to wear the pink shirt. No, yep. you're wearing it. You like it. They don't like it. They don't have to wear it. Yes. My daughter would love you from the cross dressing. She likes to cross dress too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, how did you find that voice to start going up and stage for the first time? Because what I hear, the, the other one, that uh, oh, okay. it was yeah. not the first time. How do you find that voice to go into stage the first time? The, the start with why? Yes. Okay. Um, I've always been on stage ever since I was four, doing plays, acting, singing, dancing, like all of it. I've always been on stage. So being on stage, which was just the front of the room, yes. <laughs> in front of, I think it was 50 people in that breakout session, was just like standing up in front of the classroom. But now... I didn't have to do a memorized speech. And that's what I found was the difference. In grade 10, I did a project where we had to do a speech, but my teacher said we could do whatever we wanted because it was in French class. So she wasn't grading us on whatever the, the content was. She was grading us on the context and the language and that kind of stuff. So I created the speech. And I spoke it from the heart because it was something that I loved, that I understood, that I knew at my core. This start with why was the same thing. I believed in it so much that this was the type of thing I was trying to share with people. Only Simon Sinek put the words to it, wrote a book to it, had a TED talk on it. And it was all clearly put together right in front of me. And now all I needed to do was take my experience and understanding of his concepts and just share them so that's what I did was shared from here instead of up here mm -hmm. like when we share from the heart it's not just about emotions but it's about that identity it's about the experience it's about diving deeper into what it means not just the words that we're sharing that's that's totally true yeah and I wanted to let and know everyone Laura also have a podcast and she's a host in the podcast. Can you share us a little bit more of your podcast? Ooh, okay, so 
I have a couple things going on. I, I don't always call it a podcast. So I do a show on my Facebook page um, called Live with Laura, which I should totally have you on. I haven't done it in a while. I've been taking a break. Uh, but September, we're starting back up again. Cool people enjoying the chats, right? Um, but then I've also taken over our my speaking mentor, our mutual connection, Corey Poirier's show called Blue Talks. That's the whole brand that we're a part of, the Blue Talks Amplify Your Message event. So Scott McDermott and I, which our stories are so similar in so many ways, but oh my God, I love him. He makes me laugh so much. We're such a pair. I love it. He and I co-host this show of Corey's together. And so we we spend five whole days, four hours a day, interviewing, I think it's 20 different people in that week. So the Blue Talks Amplify Your Message event. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And you should not miss it because they're very, very interesting conversations that they're having. Well, I I get so excited because I'm like, I love those stories. I want to know why you do the work that you do. I want to know the crap that you've been through and how you share that. Because if you choose to share your story through a book, and I choose to share my story on a stage and your, your listeners choose to share their story on social media posts. It's still sharing your story. That's still your message. So how can we use our favorite ways to share and amplify that message by learning from each other and going, Oh, you're a lot like me. And this is how you're doing it. I should probably start there and see how it feels. Yes. And if not change it, switch it up. There's many people that actually need to listen to it because mm. might not be conscious or aware of what is happening to them. But when the moment they hear a similar yes. story as them, it's like, oh, that's when they become aware. And that's what sometimes that's what they just need to understand that they can get out of the victimhood and they can start working with themselves. And that's why it is important to share our stories. Yeah. And they might not be pretty, but. But that's why we have to talk about it. The pretty stuff, everybody can see it in the magazine. But oh, that doesn't yeah. mean that there's not a story behind or in the movies, but there's a story behind that actually needs to be work. Yeah. Well, your story gives other people permission to share the to share theirs or to even look inside of that dark closet <laughs> yeah. to see if they have a story. But then on the flip side of it, if we think of all of the people who go to school and learn about this stuff at big fancy places with big fancy letters behind their names, most of what they're learning is patterns they see in case studies. If we, as the person who has gone through the story, attempted to go and learn about the thing that we were struggling with and didn't find the answers and came up with our own answers and now we're sharing the story of our answers then our case studies are unique. And those people with those letters behind their name also need to hear these stories to help expand their understanding of what it is that we're talking about. So we are those case studies. It is so important because we have the experience that isn't necessarily picked out in a, in a book. How do you feel that the world's going to change. I know there's many mental health issues in the world right now. And there are many psychologists and many, uh, you know, those 
uh, letters behind their before uh, before their name and whatever, but they're not helping. The coaches right now, the healers, etc., are the psychics, whatever. Those are the ones that are starting to stand up and helping the, all those mental issues. How do you think it's gonna work out in ten years? Because I see a change. But what do you see? I do. I'm seeing the changes happening already, even before COVID. I've seen so many people with those letters behind their name in those professional association fields going, I can't in good conscience continue doing things the way that I'm doing because I've learned so much more. I've learned beyond what I was taught in school and can no longer confine myself to the box that they have asked me to play in. And so they're branching out and calling themselves coaches, consultants, strategists. I'm seeing a lot of that happening at the same time as so much more collaboration. This started happening in architecture before I left where they wanted everybody to have a seat at the table and have a conversation together before the project even started. Instead of coming in in the middle and saying, you did this, why did you do And there's just so much miscommunication or the, you know, the random emails that just go every which way and nobody really knows what's going on. The industries are doing the same thing. The healers, the people that want to help, these heart-centered entrepreneurs and these people are coming together saying, I want to work on this. I am so passionate about this. Who can I bring in to help elevate it, to expand on it, to help me see things differently so we can get it done faster, easier, (laughs) with less energy, with more flow? And more effective. And so much more effective. Yeah. It's beautiful. But COVID threw a little bit of a wrench into that, where we're seeing a bit of the separation too. There is that small group of people who are like, I don't want to change. Everything's fine the way it is. And they're digging, as we said earlier, with the bear in the corner, they're digging their heels in, not wanting to move because they just, they're not ready. And that's okay. It's okay where they're at. The rest of us are moving forward at such a pace that they're afraid of that speed. They're afraid of the unknown of where it's going because we don't. It's traveling so fast right now. Many of us don't know where we're going, yes. but we're exploring together. So we'll figure it out together. Yes. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. And it's just hard pace. Yeah. It's, it is changing the conscience of the human being. It is changing. Even if you want to see it or not, just you can put the news and you can get terrified whatever is happening and so forth. But it is changing into the good way. Mm-hmm. I I don't see a dark um, and obscure world happening. I believe it is going to be positive and it's going to be changing and more hard-based and operation from all the human beings. That's what I want to think and that's what I want to believe. That's, that's what manifesting. I... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Laura, uh, people can contact you. Uh, what is the best way to contact you and see your podcast? Ooh, okay. So the best way to contact me is actually on my Facebook page, like DM me, (laughs) private message me. So that is facebook.com slash Laura Lake designs with an S that was before I changed everything to great disconnection. That's fine. It's all fine. 
And then everywhere else you'll find me at Laura Lake SD. So S. <laughs> this stands for Sustylable Design. Um, the Blue Talks Amplifier Message. If you DM me, I'll send you the direct Facebook link to the Facebook group where all of the shows are. I think it's also on YouTube. We're working on shifting it because it used to be on Corey's stuff, but now that Scott and I have taken over, we're like, where do we put it? Who's doing what? You'll find everything in the Facebook group. That is the easiest place. So if you can't find it, just DM me and I will send you the direct link. Okay. Mm -hmm. I will, I will share your information either way, but yeah. I would like to you to share that. And thank you so much for this conversation. I, I really enjoy it. And thank you for all the listeners at the same time for being here. And uh, and share your comments. And if you have any questions, just message us. Mm. I love the way that you say my name. It makes me smile every time. <laughs> <laughs> I ask <guess> it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everybody. And thank you for being in Soul Talk. This is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. Head over to monicaramireswarrioroflove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass in how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.